Faith and belief are popular phrases in our society today. Think of the phrases and what we see on the television, radio, wherever. You just got to believe. Or believe in yourself. Or simply have faith. These phrases, one's for the basketball team, isn't it for the, the Warriors? Got to believe? No, it isn't. Right? Just got to believe. Just got to believe. Um, these phrases assume that there is power in faith and in belief. But that's not right. There is no power in faith and power in belief because they need an object to believe in. Faith needs an object. Belief needs an object. So we always have believe in or have faith in something. And that's where the power of that faith comes from. So if I have faith and believe in myself, my faith is in the power of my possibility to be. If I have faith in myself, I'm putting my trust in myself. Right? Which isn't all bad. We can be motivated and we believe you can do it. But then it's up to you to be able to provide that power to do that. So in all of these phrases, no matter what we say about faith and what we say about belief, it's belief and faith in something. So it all traces back to the first commandment. Right? You will have no other gods before me, but rather believe and have faith in me over all things. But the funny thing about us, as we've discovered in this summer going through this, is that belief and faith are a part of us whether we believe in the true God or not. Whether we believe in the God revealed in Scripture or not, we cannot live without faith in something. We cannot live without belief in something that either motivates us or convinces us, empowers us, and therefore, there is no person without a God. Because whatever we believe in or have faith in or trust in, that becomes our God. Whatever answers the questions to our life, whatever gives us reason for being, a purpose, and we ultimately believe that is the source, becomes our God. So, mankind fashions God in their own way through what they choose to believe, through what they choose to have faith in. People even do this with God. Oh, I believe in God, but I believe that God can't do that. My God wouldn't do this or that. My God is a God of love. He wouldn't do this or that. So where does that lead? People who believe that have put their faith and belief in forming something that creates a God in their own image. According to what they believe God can and cannot do, possible or impossible, reasonable or unreasonable. So, we sort of make God in our own image. But scripture teaches us, and here's the difference with Christians and faith, that it is God who is the power behind faith and belief and calls us to believe his truth that he has created the world, that he has 
created everything for us, that he has given us life, that he has given us family, and that he has given us eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. So as Christians, we believe God has revealed himself in and through his word. As his word says, that he is the one who spoke with prophets. He is the one who opened the Old Testament to the disciples. He is the one who speaks through his word. And through his word created the world. Through his word worked salvation. And we accept this reality. We accept that God did this. We believe in God. We have faith that he did these things. We didn't choose to believe this because we were able to prove it. We didn't choose to believe this because we did a scientific test and it came out positive, so, okay, we'll believe it. Because we're called to believe things that we do not see and things that we may not be able to touch, things that we perhaps do not hear. Sometimes, however, believing in God's word as the ultimate authority is difficult. Sometimes this faith and belief in God and what he says uh, challenges us simply because it calls us to believe in something that we can't see, something that we can't get our hands on. And some things in which we are called to place our faith and our belief in God's word seems simpler than others. For instance, Jesus was born of a virgin. We generally accept that. It seems easier to believe than other things. That he healed the sick? Okay, I believe Jesus healed the sick. That he rose from the dead? Getting close to the border there. I've never seen anybody rise from the dead. But it's the same faith that says that he healed the sick. So if he healed the sick, can he rise from the dead? Yeah, okay. All right, so that's kind of pushing the limits. But then perhaps the question of his real presence in bread and wine, in body and blood, that's like, whoa, hold on. How? Why? Then all the questions begin. How is, how is he present in bread and wine? I mean, you look and there's no, there's no flesh. And you look and there's no particle of blood. It's not the wine isn't O positive or A negative or whatever. And you don't test the wine for those things, right? We would never think of that. However, it brings the question of, it's, it's, it seems a little bit more difficult perhaps to believe. The virgin birth, yeah, it's kind of, away from our reality. Healing the sick, yeah, that can happen 2,000 years ago. Raising from the dead, yeah, Jesus rose 2,000 years ago. But right here, he says, take and eat, this is my body. Now, that's not 2,000, this is now, right? So it becomes a little bit more personal when it asks us to receive and accept these words. And, you know, immediately we need to see, we need to touch we need to feel, we need to verify, we ask why, we ask how. We could do that for the virgin birth. How did God 
choose the Virgin Mary to be born of a virgin? How did that happen without any relationships? Now, we can speculate, well, God did it this way, he did it that way. And so some do rationalize these things. You know, we can think of maybe unsolved mysteries on television. If they were to investigate someone, we have a scientist with us today, and he's going to tell us if it's possible that a virgin could give birth to a baby. Well, I don't think biologically that that's possible, you know. And oh, there's our science, there it is, there's the proof right there, you know. All scientists across the universe say, and so it's, an uns it's a solved mystery, you know. This is what actually happened. And so they try to prove. Same thing, nobody has ever come back from the dead. Well, who has read Edgar Allan Poe? Right? Telltale heart, right? Being buried alive, but everybody thought they were dead. Well, maybe Jesus went into a swoon. You know, maybe, he was, maybe he wasn't really dead and he just lowered his body temperature and didn't breathe. And everything. So trying to look for natural possibilities of what happened. Maybe those healed just uh, was mind over matter. So kind of like doubting Thomas, and if you remember him, had to place his fingers in the side of his Savior in order to believe. So the world today, and sometimes us, want to solve the mystery before we believe. But if we solve the mystery, we're relying on ourselves instead of faith. If we prove something, it's the result of proof rather than the result of faith. In other words, we're saying, if I can't understand this, if I can't see how this is done, I won't believe it. I am the source, therefore, of judging what is true and untrue, what is possible and what is impossible. And Paul says, very interesting, in Hebrews 11, he says, when he's talking about faith, he says, by faith, we understand that God made the world in seven days. See the order that he puts it in. He doesn't say, we understand, therefore we believe that God made the world in seven days. By faith, we understand. By faith, we grasp it. By faith, we believe, not by my penetrating questions of how. And so that's the way that we have to approach the Lord's Supper. We begin with our confession. And we know, we've talked about it before, that's getting on our marks, standing on our marks. That mark is our confession. Jesus Christ, Son of God, died and rose again for our salvation. That is our confession. Our presupposition and our filter through which we see everything in the world as well as the Lord's Supper is through that. Faith in God's word. Where the impossible becomes possible. The starting point is not, well, I think it's impossible because, or, well, it, it, it's my opinion that, right? as if my opinion is the final opinion. And in today's world, everybody's opinion is truth, right? It's not to be challenged. But here in God's word, our opinion doesn't count. Wow. Your word does not matter in what God's word does. Your word has no power 
God's word does. Has your opinion created the universe? God's word has. Has your opinion brought something dead back to life? God's word has. And that's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, if you want to go back and look at this as we go through it, that's what he's talking about. In the history of the church, the agape feast was the big feast of love that they had in the community of believers. Now, the opinion of the people was that it was a love feast. Now, I know I'm in California, and I know that probably during the 1960s, anybody who lived during that time, the love feast, right? I mean, right? It was the love feast. But Paul's saying here, he says, hold on, dudes. I'm using modern language in case you don't. There's no translation for dude in the New Testament. Hold on, dudes. You're sinning. And it's not because you are doing this incorrectly. That is, it's not because you got the wine on the left instead of on the right, or the bread here instead of over there. Paul went after the opinion of the people because he celebrate the, the celebration of what the Lord left them was done outside of faith and not in faith. The feast was about them. It was about food, it was about getting drunk, and it was beneficial to nobody. They looked at the bread and wine and did not, as Paul says, discern the body and the blood of Christ in the bread and the wine, as God's word proclaimed it to be. So Paul says, look, the words are simple. Take and eat. This is my body. If you don't believe these words, then you rationalize and seek to solve the unsolved mystery based on your own judgment in your own world in your own thoughts, and you become the root of truth. That's what happened throughout history, and particularly during the struggle about these texts in the Reformation period. Scholastics at that time were one band that kind of went off and, and, and influenced today's modern church uh, denominations, but there were three things that they said it's impossible for Christ to be present in bread and wine. Look how this rationalizing of how took place. One, Christ ascended into heaven, so it's impossible. He can't be in every church at every point in time when communion is celebrated. So, my logic, that's, he can't be. The other one was Christ is spiritual. In other words, he doesn't have flesh and blood now. He's spiritual, so he, why would he even be in something mundane as bread and wine for you and for me? The best one was, and it's kind of at the root of everything. Bill Clinton did the same thing, by the way. Think back. The verb is actually means represent. <laughs> right? Bill Clinton said, remember, well, it depends on how you define is, what your definition of is, is. Right? When he was being interviewed. Is never means represent. I am a man. I don't represent a man. This is a dog. It doesn't represent a dog. Once we start using these represent and put our own meaning behind the word is, represent means waiting for something else that really, really 
is. So if I am not a man but only represent a man, you're saying, well, show us the man. Right? Because I'm not it. This represents a dog. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Show us the dog. No, 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 no. So when Jesus says in our text in John today, I am the bread of life, he's not saying I represent the bread of life. Wait for someone else to come who actually is. No, I am the bread of life. Represents means that the real deal has not happened. That's why the early church called the Lord's Supper from early on a sacrament. Sacrament means holy things. And holy things was translated from the Greek mystery. The gospel was a mystery that was revealed in Christ Jesus. The grace of God was a mystery that through Christ's death and resurrection is now open to all people. And so the holy things of God, baptism, the Lord's Supper, those things that he instituted and put aside for use in his church were called mysteries, holy things. And by faith, we mean believing and taking God's word for it of things that are not seen. The same way that we confess that God created the world and you and me and that he will deliver us and has delivered us from the evil one, it's through his word. So we believe that God is present here for us because his word invites us to believe and accept that he is present in, with, and under bread and wine. How? Through his word. How? Because he said he was going to be there. How? For you. A gift. Incomprehensible by nature, but comprehended only by faith. It always struck me as funny. The disciples comprehended all of this by faith. Think about it. No disciple balked at Jesus' words. Take and eat, this is my body. Take and drink, this is my blood. Hey, but, 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 but Jesus, what? What do you mean by that? No disciple did that. Why not? They didn't ask the question. They knew. They didn't say, well, well, Jesus, how can that possibly be? They let the word stand for what it created. It let, he let the word stand. This is Jesus. This is God's son. And he says, take and eat. This is my body. Well, in some way, shape, or form, it's got to be. And it's given for you for the forgiveness of sins. The same way it became flesh at Christmas time. We don't say, well, how can that possibly be? The same way the disciples standing around saw Lazarus come out of the tomb and say, well, how can that possibly be? Because it was God's active word that did it. None of them were astonished. But only John kind of gives us a peek at what was going on in the meaning of that. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you will not have life within you. So Paul says the same thing in Corinthians. Unless you discern this bread... And discern means sifting through. Unless you discern this bread to be Jesus' body and discern this wine to be his blood, you do not have the benefit of what's going on. You are taking not believing in the promise that's given here. So it can do you no good. In fact, you might be making fun of it if you Corinthians are just taking it lightheartedly. 
Don't you see that the bread is Christ's body and wine is his blood, Paul says? Because through his word he made himself present. So this is not ordinary bread and it's not ordinary wine. His body and blood are present. Tread lightly, he says, because like Moses, you're on holy ground. And so Paul uses these words, judgment and discern, that have a common root in Greek, and he's kind of playing on words here. He's saying, in your opinion, it's not bread and wine. It's a time of joyous frivolity and agape feast. It's not. In this bread and wine that you're drinking, God has chosen to place himself for you. Meaning, it's there, it's not dependent upon your opinion, whether you believe it or not, Take and eat, this is my body. It's objective. Take and eat, this is drink, this is my blood. It's objective. Whether you believe or not is not going to change what my word has created for you. Rather, it's the invitation. Come, believe. Brothers and sisters, this meal is a part of the kingdom of God. We're talking about our church as an outpost in all the Christian churches. What goes on in here is different from what goes on in the world. What we believe in here is different from what the world has believed. It's a place for strengthening. It's a place for God's love. It's a place where he can come to us, and he does. Because when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he says, I will not eat of this until I come again in my kingdom, and then I will eat of it with you. It's this way right now that God has made himself available in a visible way to see, feel, touch, taste. It's the visible gospel now present for you. Got to clear one more thing up. It's not because of me. God's word and promise that make this meal Salvation for us is not because of me, not because I'm a pastor, not because I've studied. It's no magic act. The sacraments belong to the church, the congregation. This is your supper. This is your baptism. It has nothing to do with me. You can name anyone to celebrate these on behalf of and for the congregation. In that same way, it is my privilege to announce God's grace to you. And it's my privilege to celebrate this for our mutual benefit. And so the invitation stands today. Those who believe, come and receive Christ's body given for you, his blood shed for you. For what? For the forgiveness of sins. Believe his words, believe his promise because that's how he makes himself available. In Jesus' name, amen.